Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Kippelman. Oh, it's a new show. Uh, oh, wait a minute. It says right here that Barry, oh, just still my co-host. Oh, I apologize for that, Barry. But no, oh, welcome. Wait. Welcome. Yeah. Right. So, uh, anyway, on this particular episode of the still at this point in time, Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, episode 239, we're going to the rings of CWF 106 North Albany. It's 1982, October 6th. Kevin Sullivan takes on Barry Windham. Scientific match. Barry goes about 30 minutes. Don't often see that in the rings of CWF at this point in time. Yeah, you don't. It's uh, so this is very exciting when you you sent this to me. Uh, yeah, great. And stuff. as we as we discuss uh, when we get to the match, uh, there was one particular person who was involved in this that maybe got a little overexcited, Barry. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe a little. And it isn't, we should say it's not Sully or Wyndham. Yeah. Yes. It was somebody else that appeared to start beginning to remove his clothes. But, you know, yeah. nothing's, nothing's wrong with that. Besides that, we're going to be offering up our Mount Rushmore of wrestling promoters. We're going to be talking a little food talk. Barry always loves food talk. Some Florida man or not, we're going to throw in there. Plus, it is the return, first time in over a year, maybe even two years, Barry. Breaking Kayfabe Theater. What do you think, my man? This sounds like the best episode ever, Jeff. It probably, but before we get to all that, I want to remind each and every one of you that two days from now, it is the return. The Patreon episode 12. Barry, this is going to be a very, this is indeed a very special episode of uh, the Patreon episode because are we talking wrestling? No. We're talking movies? Well, maybe slightly. Television? Maybe slightly because. For the first time on Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, Patreon. Barry, I don't know if you know this, but there are people in our group that love this thing called pornography. What? Yes, it is a discussion of porn. Barry, why don't you tell them who our guest is? Absolutely. It's a guy named Bobby Reynolds, and Bobby started a Facebook group. Oh, I'll say over the last six months, maybe a little bit sooner, and it's pretty much dedicated to whatever happened to your favorite adult film actress, and it goes back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, but it talks about the porn actresses that were huge in the days when you had to go to a theater or maybe the early days of videotape, and some of these stories really – He's first off, this guy has done amazing detective work. Uh, I was going to say dick work, private wow. dick work. He's exactly. a private dick, yeah, I think. Yeah, See, but it seemed like low-hanging fruit, so I didn't go there. But this guy has done really – But enough about amazing. you personally with the low-hanging fruit, wow. Barry. You're exactly. Wishful thinking. This guy has done some tremendous detective work in locating these actresses and a lot of your favorites. The you know, there's some that are famous, the Tracy Lords who are still in the public eye, but a lot they they slinked off. They went to have quote unquote normal lives, whether they're public educators, lawyers, etc. Bobby has been able to track them down. We should say, as a caveat, he's not going to be revealing uh, their phone numbers or their email addresses or real names because he does respect everyone's privacy, and I find that really commendable. With that, some of these stories, Jeff, that he were telling us, super interesting. Yeah, so that's what you have to look forward to on Thursday's Patreon show. But because we are nothing if not what? Givers! Thank you. We have our own episode today, which is full of fun food talk, wrestling talk, unpopular opinions, Florida man or not, breaking kayfabe theater. Barry, why don't we go to our show? Barry, it has been a hot tick, if you will, since we've been in the rings of CWFO, it's 106 North Albany, Barry. I, you know, 
I thought about this and I'm like, you know, I really need someone to discuss uh, this match with me who knows about Florida history, uh, can look at a match and evaluate it, uh, has experience around the wrestling industry. And you know what I said, Barry? Howard, Howard Baum's not available. So, oh, you know, busy. I said, who's who's my second choice? And I said, well, the answer is obvious. It's Pete Letterberg. And Pete, sure. she's busy teaching and stuff like that. Ah, fuck it. I'll call Barry. And so Barry's with us to discuss. What about Penzer? You didn't call Penzer for uh, this? No, he's, he's about 32nd on the list. I'd, I'd say Flaherty or Greg Good, uh, right. you know, right. one of those guys. is uh, Bob McKeon, of course, a savant. Uh, you yeah. know, a- ask, uh, ask Bob what day Dusty took a fucking dump. Uh, during February of 1982, and he'll come up with the exact time and uh, which toilet he used. But enough of that. Let's talk from October the 6th, 1982. Oh, I was a few, uh, like a couple weeks away from being street legal, the age of 21, Barry, in the rings at 106 North Albany. It's Barry Windham versus Kevin Sullivan. Why, Barry, is this match significant? Well, it for a couple of reasons. Uh from a lesser significant standpoint, this is a solid 30-minute match taking place on CWF-TV, which was literally one hour per week. So that's a big deal. That didn't happen too often. But I do believe what you're referring to, that one of these two professional wrestlers, Kevin Sullivan and Barry Windham, one of them, after being a very popular babyface in the state, winds up turning heel. So before we get to that, Barry... Let me ask you, uh, because I'm not Bob McKeon, I'm not specific with dates. There was the angle involving the bone buster and the $1,100, very specific amount, by the way, the $1,100 that was paid by Nevik Navalis. And boy, doesn't that name sound from, uh, you know, somehow familiar to me, as Gordon said, what was the time frame? Was this uh, before this match and how far before, or was this after this match when the angle with Jake Roberts taking a care of Barry Windham, who that might be a little spoiler on the finish of this match, Barry, when did that take place as opposed to this match? I think it was, uh, I believe it was right after this match. I'd have to double check, but I believe it was right after because Windham had, if you remember, it was the broken nose angle. Yes. And Wyndham was wearing that face mask. Uh, so I believe it was right after. What's interesting about this is that even though this match between Sullivan and Wyndham was the impetus for his heel turn, it wasn't a focus of the feud per se between Wyndham and Sullivan. It really, as you can see, was going to be geared towards, especially at the end, Mike Graham and Sullivan, because there was a history there. You know, 10 years earlier, nine years earlier, these guys had been Florida tag team champions on more than one occasion. Yes. Uh, should also say I'm not breaking any kayfabe here, though I might be to some people. During that period where Sullivan and uh, Mike Graham were actually tag teaming, which was primarily all of 1973, Mike had a big falling out with Eddie Graham. And mm. this is not something that is that's public knowledge, though. Kevin is preach about to it. the masses, Barry. Preach. Absolutely. Kevin has talked about this multiple times, so I'll share this. But. Mike had made his debut as a pro in 1972 and, you know, being the promoter son and Mike, you know, again, a lot of talent there. I think uh, his big drawback, not great on interviews and was short in stature, but at the same time, a fine professional wrestler and a real tough guy, actually, in real life. But he and Eddie had a massive falling out. 
and they didn't speak for the better part of a year. Do we know what the issue was that led to the falling out? So I'll speak candidly, and I will put allegedly before it. I believe from what I've heard that Mike had become aware of his father having a longtime mistress. That's what I have. That's what I've been told. And that Mike mm-hmm. found out and that he did. You know, there's, that's not a secret that Eddie had a longtime mistress, allegedly had a child out of wedlock with this mistress. And uh, Mike, I guess Mike now on the circuit, now working cities, everything. Mike found out about this, didn't talk to his dad. The only line of communication that Mike and Eddie had was through Kevin Sullivan. And Kevin was essentially the go-between and the intermediary between the two. And they were able to repair their relationship, I guess, to some degree. I don't know all those details, but that was a big deal. But that was, I guess, a big reason that Kevin was kept around. And Eddie always loved Kevin, not just for his work, but loved him because he considered him a, a true loyal guy to the promotion and, the, and himself. So he was a big fan. So with all that, you've got this great match that takes place between these two guys. And as I stated early, it's unique because this is for the Florida title. This is the they're calling it the uh, Les Welch Florida tag title. And that there's two reasons they were doing it. Les Welch was essentially the first Florida heavyweight champion. He won a tournament in 19. I believe it was 66 over Sputnik Monroe became the first Florida champion. And then he was also working behind the scenes with CWF in the early 80s as well. So that was kind was of a, the reason. Was he the one that was the pilot also that would take yes. the boys to the Bahamas? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and Les Welch was the father of Jackie and Roy Lee Welch and was a cousin of the Fullers and the whole, you know, Welch Fuller. God knows all that. But yeah. So anyways, this is a really good match. And I got to say, both guys work this as tough baby faces, respectful of the rules. Kevin does a really good job. First off, Kevin going 30 minutes, not a common sight, right? No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. And we had never seen Kevin as a heel in the state of Florida before. Uh, He had been a heel, uh, I believe, Memphis. I know he was a heel in uh, in Memphis, possibly Knoxville, which I don't. But Georgia, he had also been a heel in Georgia. And Kevin had that ripped bodybuilder physique you know, and Kevin, not a tall guy, right? He's five, six, maybe uh, five, seven max, I think, but not a guy more, always a bulkier power lifter look. And then in Memphis and he took it to Georgia, had this ripped bodybuilder physique and he looked great, came back to Florida. He was pudgy again, but it, it worked. And uh, they had this solid baby face match goes almost 30 minutes right under the, uh, the wire. And, uh, As it turns out, Barry goes to leapfrog Kevin. Kevin's head unintentionally, I believe, catches Wyndham in the groin. Wyndham goes down. Kevin walks over to Wyndham, kind of looks around, looks at him, kicks him right in the face. Wyndham goes down. Kevin pins him one, two, three, new Florida heavyweight champion. And it's immediate because In my head, and I'm looking at it now, right, with the mentality of somebody in 2022, I'm going, I don't know if he's a heel, though, right? He just an opportunist, wanted the title. But of course, it's wrestling and it's 40 years ago. Kevin then goes to the announcer's desk. At this point, Gordon Soley, Mike Graham, whoever else was commenting. Coach John Heath. 
the late great coach John Heath, actually all three men, the late great, they've all since passed on. They are deriding Sullivan for what he has done and his actions. And Mike Graham, and I, I always, I always love Mike too. And I'm sitting there going, "Mind your own fucking business, Mike." You know, like this has nothing <laughs> to do with you. In my head, I'm like, "This has nothing to do with you." You know, who are you to lecture Kevin Sullivan on what he just did? So he's Mike is all animated. And he's uh, it's you know, he's getting out of his chair and he's Kevin, what are you doing? How could you do something? And Kevin takes that Florida title and clocks fucking Graham right on the head. Mike goes down. Mike comes up 30 seconds later. Of course, I believe he's still holding the blade in his hand. I believe there's as we've seen with the Freebirds, Mike does not want to let go of the blade. So he's still holding the blade. He gets up. He's bloody chases Sullivan. But there's one really interesting aspect. Did you catch that, by the way? Uh, remind me. Well, you would know it when Mike when Mike gets up after Sull- Sullivan clocks him and then leaves. Mike gets up and Mike then, you know, cuts the, cuts a promo. But as he's cutting a promo there, besides the blood, there's something else very unique about him. Did you didn't pick up on that? I got to be honest with you. I watched the match like sure. a week ago. So sure. <laughs> yeah. gotcha. Mike's pants are unzipped. Oh, yes. No, essentially. No. What the fuck? Absolutely. I remember that. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is that about? Yes. What the fuck is that? So the pants are on. It's a pair of jeans. They're unzipped and essentially pulled down, leading to belief. What was Mike doing behind the desk? That that occurred? <laughs> I like, really like the match. Let's just say <laughs> it must have been a Japanese women's match. He was watching. Right? Exactly. Yeah. He was doing full Javorski. Uh, oh, full us, Jeff. Full yeah. us at that point. Yes. So on that note, too, I, I got to toss it out. There is a uh, and I don't want to give this guy any credit, but there is a piece of shit dwarf douchebag. And I haven't cut a promo on this, this fucking walking human turd with legs and weeks and this this piece of shit. And he clearly really is a piece of garbage reached out to me this past week. And of course, was uh, the usual jerking off to the women's matches of Japan, which I agree with. We do. Let's be honest. It's not a secret. But well, it depends. Uh, you know. Well, it depends who it is exactly. But the other thing that I I really want to go on record here is he. Hold he, on, hold on. Wait a minute, Lou. Lou, if you could take out your notebook because Barry is going on the record with this. So please make a notation. Please, Barry, continue. Absolutely. He insults us in three different ways. One is, and, and now it's to me, he's doing it, but he always says us, but it's directed at me, bald. Okay, check, bald, right? I am. That's not a secret. Old. Yeah, I, I'm old. I'll get, I'm 58, but he calls me fucking fat. Now, wait a minute. See? So I, I take uh, issue with that. But anyways, this piece of garbage, this human piece of shit whose own family hates him because he's such a piece of garbage felt the need to reach out and discuss us jerking off to women's wrestling in Japan once again. I've got to say, as Jeff also said, we don't do this every time. Yes, there are moments when we do this, but we don't do it uh, all the time. But I digress. Obviously, I just felt I needed to talk about this this piece of shit that lives in Virginia. I Pardon me, though, on that, Jeff. Oh, no, uh, because uh, I'm sure uh, he – desperately wants it. He's the, he's the kid, you know, there was, there was a kid that, uh, we went to high school with and, uh, he was one of these super annoying. Tell me if this sounds familiar, Barry, uh, super, uh, annoying fat, uh, like fungus on a toenail of the world 
who would come up and he was so desperately craving attention. Uh, so far, does this sound familiar, Bear? Oh, yeah. This yeah, is yeah. it. And, and so he would come it. up and we would end up, you know, doing the punch in the arms, you know, like, like leave us alone. Go on. And he just, he craved the attention so much. This kid in high school, uh, shout out to my, my friends at plantation high school in uh, beautiful Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, but he would keep coming back, even though we would give him the shot to the arm. It was yep. never too hard, but it was just like, you know, shot to the arm, get away from us, you know, and, but he craved attention so much that he would come back time and time and time again. And I've often wondered uh, what happened to that kid. Uh, chances are, you know, he's probably like president of a major corporation now, you know, knowing my luck. But uh, old toenail fungus, that's our new name for him, Barry. How about toenail fungus? Does that sound good? Uh, yeah, but it, I kind of think toenail fungus is too good. So with that, would you like me? <sighs> I got to think I'm not the right guy. Sweet Lou, will you join us for a moment? And this is all spur of the moment, right? I've got these texts from this this human toenail fungus. Jeff, do we do we do a little kayfabe theater? Mm. And do I it's send been a hot chick? It has. It's been a year or so. Do I send these texts to the sweet man and have him read it on air? I gotta say, you have to read these slowly, not because toenail fungus is brain damaged, which he is, but because his grammar is that of a, a four-year-old that if you read it too quick, you'll pass by. Sweet Lou, is this something you would be interested in doing? Well, I'd, I'd have to review the text. All right. They are coming to you momentarily. and Are you sending it to Lou or both of us? I'm going to send it to both of you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there it is. Fat old bald guys on Facebook juking off to women's wrestling. Juking from off? <laughs> Jerking. Okay. But, <laughs> and I got to say, he's got to we're, – we're not called the brother. He's, this is a – I'll give him credit, right? He doesn't call us the brothership. He calls us the blowership, which is kind of cute in its own way. Well, he should know about blowing, you know. Well, exactly. Toenail fungus, I think, for 10 bucks will blow anything. All right, I'm going to send this to both of you. Lou, if you have interest in – I just think you would be much better at reading these than, obviously, I would. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was especially with your voice. And I, I know that our, our people would love to hear this, but I am sending this to both of you right now, Jeff. Okay, and Sweet on. Lou, it, it, it looks like it's going to be five images, possibly six, including my response at the end. And my response oh, is – I do it. Can I play Barry? I would and, love that. Yeah, and Lou, you can play toenail fungus, okay? Okay. Yeah. Let me see. So, <laughs> this is – got to admit, these are always the best episodes too. And <laughs> we, we clearly go off script with this, but yeah. All right, uh, so Lewis is going to start with, uh, how about you start with, that's cool, Lewis. Go ahead and take. Very good. Uh, no, remember, <clears throat> clear your throat, use your best enunciation. All right. Give him more credit than he deserves, and uh -huh. please, the listenership, go ahead, Lou. I see straight away there's a reference, a, a, a shoot name is being used. Should I redact that? Oh, no, you can say, because I don't, my assumption on, on who that, I can assume who that is, but then if you look where he talks about where that individual lives, right, doesn't make any sense, because he clearly knows where this person lives, uh -huh. as we all do, and I find this, what's odd about this is, 
we should say the person he's referencing, at least the person we think, is arguably one of the nicest people and gets along with everybody. This toenail fungus trademark, Jeff Baldron on that one, toenail fungus is, is almost universally hated by everyone. So to take shots at it, but I, I his own family, his own family, his his own family, that's his children. Again, that's that's children don't like him, much yes. less love him. They consider yes. him a anal fissure on the world. Uh, trademark Ooh. Jeff Bowdrin. All right, that's a good one too. So please, I think you can use the shoot name on that one. I think we're safe. Okay, that's cool. Tell Chrissy thanks for the shout outs. It's always nice to hear from people that hate you. Truth be told, an Uber through probably does suck through Hopewell but it's probably no better getting one through cousin butt-fucking North Carolina or wherever he lives. I don't know why the gate for Hopewell when he's not living in Mecca. Hey, sorry I can't bring myself to actually apologize to any of you for anything I've said. However, when you realize none of these people were your friends to start with, there's no need to. Anyway, have a great day. <clears throat> now, Barry Rose responds. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> okay. didn't i sound like barry there you did that was great <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. yeah i mean it is weird though need somebody why was she still bring them up i mean you guys claim i have mental problems but you might want to look in the mirror definitely can't hurt anyway i'm going to drive around to the car you can claim i don't have lol and have a great day i don't have to worry about appealing to Amph, appeasing fat old bald guys on Facebook, <laughs> jerking off to women's wrestling from the 90s. Actually, it's the 80s for the most part. <laughs> right. Thank you. Uh, please continue. Say hi of the blowership for me. It's sad to hear Joe died, though. Did you all fake being his friend, too? LOL. I'll stop. You know what fake pieces of shit you are. Aren't you old fat guys too, too uh, old for high school type clicks? That's just embarrassing. Bye. What an asshole you are. It'll never change. Pathetic dwarf loser. Very sad. You are way fatter than I am, by the way. Such a douche. Like how we emphasize douche there, Barry. Like <laughs> the reason everyone who interacts with you absolutely hates you. This has been another presentation of the Breaking Kayfabe Theater. And scene. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Very excellent job of directing that scene, by the way. Let me say. Wonderful. Yes, gentlemen. And uh, now we spend uh, far too much time on uh, either a toenail fungus or anal fissure, whatever you want to call him. Let's get back to the match with Barry Wendell. Yes. Oh, Mike having his pants unbuttoned. <laughs> Apparently he was enjoying Gordon's color commentary too. Uh, and uh, I love, I always love when they have these matches and coach John Heath is at the desk and he's like keeping score. Like it's a, some sort of college wrestling match. And he's like, going, I, I have Kevin ahead by three points at this match. You know, then wait a minute. No, now Barry's ahead by two or whatever. That, uh, that to me is just such old school fucking mentality. Let's officiate it and score it. Like it's a fucking college wrestling match bear. 
Yeah, it's uh, what you know what though it does add like an air of legitimacy to it, and oh I no, think, of course, it's, and that was always I love the it. Idea. I'm not I'm not poo pooing it. Oh at yeah, all. yeah, yeah, no, no, but it, I think that was always the idea of Coach John Heath as well was that by bringing him on, he's certainly going to talk about their amateur credentials or and things and scoring and all that, but. He does a great job. And a lot of people don't like Coach John Heath, or I should say didn't like his commentary as a human being. I never heard anybody ever say a negative word, but they don't always like his commentary because he comes off as a a sedate, older gentleman, maybe. That's the nicest way to put it. I I like him, though, because, again, he's there's a similarity to Gordon. When he does it, Gordon, I think much more professional and Gordon was a professional broadcaster, but with it, I love hearing coach John Heath add so much for me. So as I'm looking at the date, this took place, I can recall going to matches at the convention center where one of the matches was uh, Barry Wyndham and Andre, the giant against Kevin Sullivan and Jake Roberts. Uh, that was the, uh, I'm trying to think, was that the night of the mask maybe that took place? But my question for you is, considering this is October of 82, and very quickly they moved on, because well, it was Christmas night that uh, was the night that they had, that Sullivan and Dusty had their cage match, correct? Yes, correct. With the, with the big uh, swerve at the end. So why was Mike kind of shoved out of the way? And I mean, you know, the obvious answer could be that Dusty decided to, you know, Kevin got hot and wanted to steal him for himself. But was the issue between Mike and Eddie something that may have caused Mike to get kind of shoved aside in this program? I don't think, I mean, that issue we're talking about is years earlier. So this is one of the points that I always bring up whenever somebody says, oh, Mike Graham never drew a dime. You know, and I've gone on this shit 10 million times, so I won't rehash it. But uh, Eddie, at the end of the day, Eddie never gave Mike a hardcore push that lasted any great length of time as a singles. Eddie protected his business, which was CWF. Mike, Mike started in 1972. Mike won the Florida title for the first time, Jeff, in 1982. So all these claims of Eddie pushing Mike and shoving him down people's throats because he was the promoter's kid – didn't win a major singles title until 10 years later. Yes, he had been like a U.S. junior champion. Uh, he had been a Florida TV champion. He had held the tag titles, but never the Florida title, never the Southern title, or even the North American title, which came along in 81, right, with Dory Funk Jr. So I think Mike was pushed out of, first off, Barry Windham, everybody saw at this stage that Barry Windham was the future of a babyface in professional wrestling. So Windham was going to get a huge push. But with that, Mike also won the Florida title just a few months after this match took place. So he was pushed aside to give Windham the chance to shine with this. At the same time, Mike wound up getting the Florida title just in just a few months. So my last question, you know, we've had conversations with Kevin Sullivan before, uh, and I don't know whether or not this is a question you've ever asked. If I ask him this, honestly, I don't remember what his answer was. The idea for turning Kevin, was it Kevin's idea or Eddie's? I believe it was Kevin's. And okay. it, it, had, it had come from uh, Georgia, I guess, some degree might have played the impetus with that. But his work in Memphis with Jimmy Hart as his manager, I think that was the catalyst for it. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things as you were talking about, uh, you know, the whole uh, Kevin Dusty uh, scenario, do you remember uh, the After Magazines had a great article? Maybe it was just a, a picture with a little caption underneath it. It was Dusty on a plane uh, going somewhere and he was drinking a Diet Coke. Okay, I, I do remember that. Yes, and the, and the caption underneath it was Kevin Sullivan, who is, of course, as you said, ripped. He was competing in a bodybuilding contest. He's helping Dusty Rhodes lose a little bit of weight. <laughs> 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 it was so, so have a diet coke and lose all that. Exactly, weight. <laughs> that's going to change things completely. So, uh, before we go on, I do have a question. This is something I think you and I have discussed this before, but I saw the question posed on Twitter before. So. I know you're a big Eddie Graham fan as a promoter. And yeah, quite frankly, most people who listen to this show are, are big fans of Eddie Graham because he was a great promoter. But we also recognize uh, that Eddie had his, mm, let's say, flaws personally. Okay, sure. A lot of guys in the wrestling business have personal flaws. That's no big surprise. So we're going to take out personal flaws, uh, uh, scuzzy behavior, uh, whether it be socially, personally, whatever. Who would be your Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling promoters? And so with this, we're not looking at personal stuff. We're looking at just business stuff. Yes. And is the criteria essentially success and ideas and things like that? Uh, I would say uh, success, ideas, and long-term sustainability. Sure. Paul Bosch, Sam Munchnik, Eddie Graham. Don Owen? Well, I would say Eddie would probably, you know, I'm thinking would be on the list. You did not. Did you mention Giant Baba? I did not mistake on my part. Absolutely. Uh, I think if you're taking out the personal things uh, that I mentioned, I I don't know how you can not mention Vince McMahon. Uh, You know, uh, Vince Kennedy McMahon. Uh, You know, where is that? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. And I was getting to that. Thank you very much for jumping in on my my stuff there. Uh, But... We've all uh, pretty much anyone listens to Vince is not a nice guy. Okay. By the way, let me just say uh, on Twitter, our friend uh, Alan, uh, who I believe lives in the UK, he's got a fantastic, fantastic Twitter feed where one of the things he posts kind of regularly is great Vince McMahon stories. Okay. Just Vince doing random, screwy, crazy shit, you know, like uh, involvement with people. So on a personal level, he's not a very good human being, okay? Uh, For a multitude, a multitude of reasons. But if you're strictly talking about Vince McMahon Jr., the wrestling promoter, he has to be on the list, okay? And trust me, I get no joy from admitting that Vince is a great promoter, but I feel like if we had a list that didn't include Vince, we'd kind of be kidding ourselves, really. Uh, and not only think, you know, I said the, the the ideas, the sustainability. How long has Vince had that company now? Close to 40 friggin' years of success. Yes, he's had, like every great promoter, ebbs and flows to his business. Uh, you know, he's had, uh, I, I will say, while financially he's, probably never been more profitable than he is now. I think it's pretty fair to say based on everything that I've been told, because I've said on multitude of occasions, I don't watch the current product, the current product in a bit of a downswing. Wouldn't you say bear? I would. Yes. As far as creatively speaking. Okay. So while you could sit there and Eddie, his company was around 20 years. Is that fair to say? 
Uh, his company was around yeah, a little more, maybe 25, but yeah. Okay, 25. yeah, yeah. Uh, had, had his ebbs and flows, ups and downs, but he certainly had many, many peaks and, and incredible rides, you know, with, with Jack Briscoe, with Dusty, uh, with people like that. And, and, you know, while there were creative ebbs and flows, the fact that he had a territorial business Oh, if only someone would do a television broadcast about the territory. It's very oh. – I digress there. We had a recent discussion. But um, I think he has to be included. Uh, and then I mentioned Giant Baba. So now if we're talking Vince Jr., Eddie, Giant Baba, who's that fourth guy? Do I go with Sam Muchnick? Do I go with Paul Bosch? Or do I go with Vince Sr.? So mm, that's pretty tough. Who would you say out of those three, Barry? Which which one of those three do you like? It's going to be really hard to not add Vince. That's what Senior she said. That well, uh, no, that is not what she said at any point over the last decade. But it's it's hard. You need to, to unbutton not, your pants like Mike Graham did, buddy. Yeah, I. The sad part is uh, everybody from that except for Kevin is gone. And, I know uh, it I, is very sad. And Kevin is not. Uh, He's not he has some health challenges, so I'm not sure he's going to remember this, but I, I would love to have known why he, uh, Mike's pants were down. Behind the <laughs> it's just the most bizarre fucking thing ever. Uh, it's hard to go against Vince McMahon senior. Right. When you're when you're promoting the Northeast and look, we should clearly say the professional wrestling from our standpoint was not good in the Northeast Madison square garden. You know, if they were giving you eight matches back in the seventies, one match might've been good. The others were just boring, you know, to me, snooze fests. I was not a fan of that product, but you can't argue with sellouts at the garden, right? The most famous arena in the U S at the same time, selling out Boston garden and all these other big arenas in the Northeast. How do you discount that? If you're, measuring this on a success standpoint creative i don't think it was super creative a lot of these angles a lot of the stuff that took place was really basic yeah for no, they, they let's be honest they had a very basic formula and to yes. their credit it worked absolutely but you're right it was a very basic angle the storylines for the better part of 20 years you had the babyface champion you had the guy that was brought in as the monster heel, usually usually oversized, okay, uh, so that he had a size advantage over the babyface champion, no matter who it was. And, of course, depending on how well the heel got over, they either got one uh, match at the Garden, no matches at the Garden, or three matches at the Garden, or in the case of Pat Patterson, four. But that was their basic formula, Barry. You're absolutely right. Yeah, just it was a very simple formula. You know, we look at some of these angles and they're a little more twisted and convoluted. Maybe that's what actually worked. You know, knowing your your viewership is key, but maybe because it was the Northeast, I don't you know, I don't know what any of that means, but there was never these crazy type of angles that required much thought. It was all really, really basic. But at the same time, how do you argue with selling out the garden? Right. I mean, you can't. So. Let me uh, away the cons for each of the people that I mentioned. Uh, Sam Muchnick and Paul Bosch essentially promoted one city. Okay, Bosch did it on a weekly basis. Muchnick did it on a monthly basis, I believe. Although, to his credit, he was also uh, the overseer of the entire NWA for what that's worth. Uh, and again, I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying uh, he was, you know, Sam Muchnick ran St. Louis, did a great job of it. 
Paul Bosch ran Houston, did a great job of it. Uh, but that's essentially all they did. Okay. Vince McMahon senior. I don't know how I can say this is a con, but he was in the largest media center in the world, yes, yes. really, you know, and he had that advantage. So would Vince McMahon senior have been as successful uh, if he was running, you know, uh, Kansas city uh, or Portland or, or something like that? Uh, you know, the fact that he gets the ultimate talk about uh, here's a phrase that I've read recently. People talk, uh, is when you're, you're born on third and you know, you get home and you think you hit a home run, uh, you know? And so I think in some ways, Vince Jr. was also born on third, but he also doubled down by taking his business national. He bet on himself. I have to give him credit for that. But so Vince Sr., even though he did that, have a basic formula, was incredibly successful. You talked about running Boston, Philadelphia, you know, uh, New York and all the major cities along the East Coast. But he also uh, he had Bruno. I mean, and the funny thing is he kind of, he shit on Bruno initially, kind of pushed him away, but then he brought him back when he realized that he needed him. Uh, worked the ethnic champion angle incredibly successfully from Bruno to Pedro Morales. Then he went with the all-American boy uh, and ran that angle and, you know, until he eventually gives the the promotion to his son. Uh, well, actually, I should, he, I'm sure he didn't give the promotion to his son. Uh, but again, that's a 20 plus year run and you have to give him credit for that. So. The other names that popped into my mind, uh, you had guy, you know, Don Owen had an incredibly lengthy run in Portland. But again, you're in a small territory. You're known for being fair with your payouts. No one was getting rich work in Portland. OK, let's be honest. OK, right. So let's see who else we got. Fritz Von Erich in uh, in Texas incredibly successful uh, for what he did uh, at literally at the cost of his own family. But he had a uh, a pretty lengthy run with himself on top and then his boys on top before, like, the empire just collapsed upon itself like a, a dying star, uh, literally and figuratively, I use that expression. But you think about, like, Inoki, again, taking out of the equation all the personal things that people held against Inoki, his massive ego, you know, Inoki was the guy that in some ways, I'm just going to clarify that some ways may have been the father of shoot fighting and, and mixed martial arts. It was Antonio Inoki who, you know, the match with Muhammad Ali, but he was also fighting kickboxers, karate guys. He was doing all that stuff, uh, you know, putting himself over, of course. He was a guy that very understandably, he pushed his biggest star himself. Gee, there's no other promoters that have ever used that idea. So I think he should be in the conversation just for our friend Toenail Fungus, the guy, and I don't know his name, the guy that owned the Japanese women's promotion uh, from the 70s into the 80s and the early 90s, uh, an incredibly, incredibly successful run on a much smaller scale. You know, in a, in a lot of ways, that guy, for what he did, and I can't remember his name right now, was similar to a Muchnik or a Paul Bosch in that he, is, he didn't really run one city, but it was such a small Focus promotion on on the uh, the teenage girl crowd, but the fact that first of all the matches and the angles were so off the charts, uh, but it wasn't like they were you know uh, going into uh, all different countries and stuff like that, uh, or you know uh, an area as vast as the United States or something. They were very centralized, but incredibly successful. And then of course the last guy was I was going to mention was again giving the devil his due. Vern had a run of. 
20, 20 plus years, was incredibly successful as a promoter. Again, taking away the personal aspect of what he was like as a human being, because a lot of people had problems with Vern, let's be honest. But he was an incredibly successful promoter. Good Lord, how many guys got their start because of Vern Gagne? You know, I mean, a wide number. So I've thrown some of those names out there. Tell me who number four should be, Barry, based on what I've given you as the criteria. Well, and then you bring up Vern, and look, Vern certainly had massive, massive missteps at the very end. But before that, he was a pretty fucking successful promoter, right? Yeah. And I mean, you you look at some of those cards that Vern had in the oh, yeah. like early seventies, just a who's who of the wrestling business, and it, in a lot of ways, he was as successful in the seventies as Eddie was because you know you look at those cards in the seventies that Eddie was putting on, and you go, holy shit, this guy's working the first or second card in the match. That's incredible because it's like a huge name, and you know these guys would go to work for Vern. Vern, from everything I understood, had uh, a schedule that was not extremely grueling. Uh, you know, it wasn't like the NWA where like Harley Race and Jack Briscoe, those guys were getting worn out from working 30 plus days. Of, you know, they, they would work double shots uh, yeah. on the weekend. So, you know, like, geez, Harley Race, uh, how many how many times did he work like, say, 35, you know, matches in one calendar month, if not more? Yeah. Plus all the flying to Australia and Japan and all the other countries. Here's the so, best part, Jeff, when you say that, and you're right about race because race would work literally seven days a week and sometimes would work twice a day. There are cards where race worked in Florida and would do uh, he would work Jacksonville in the day in Orlando at night or vice versa. And one of those two matches that took place on a Sunday would be an hour long draw. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think about that. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that, that maybe Vern isn't the fourth guy. I think he might be. I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier in this conversation. And then I want to see, and maybe this is sweet. Luke could join us and uh, maybe give us some insight on this, but, and, and wait a minute, I'm sorry. Since sweet Lou is going to join us, Roy Shire. Talk about giving the devil his due an incredibly successful run before again, like a lot of a lot of guys that died out with the onset of cable television uh, and all that kind of stuff were guys that didn't know how to change with the times and adapt with the times. And that's something that Vince McMahon senior or I'm sorry, Vince McMahon Jr. absolutely gets credit for is his ability, and maybe he was because he was younger at that point, was the ability to adapt with the changes coming in the industry. Please continue, Bear. Yeah, and I like that too. It's uh, these are all these actually are amazing points. You had mentioned earlier about being in what's essentially the biggest media market in the world in the Northeast, pri- primarily New York City, and that for Vince to be able to do that, certainly there's challenges, but at the same time, knowing your audience is going to be key. Let's look at what would have been either the first or second biggest media market in the U.S. at the time, which would have been Los Angeles, right? And L.A. had in the 70s what was a dying promotion. When you look at it for professional wrestling, L.A. in the early 70s had a bump. In the 60s, they did well. But by the mid to late 70s, especially by the late 70s, it was essentially just about over. They were putting on matches. uh, If they put on seven matches, two of them might have been good. And they were pushing guys that were essentially – Green, Roddy Piper, 
really got his true start in Los Angeles. But Roddy was an unknown commodity, right? It wasn't a guy with a proven track record and, and nobody was making any money out in Los Angeles. Chavo was on top. Other guys were on top. Why do you think you've got what, you know, I would say Los Angeles and New York neck and neck for the biggest media market. I don't know which one was, but why do you think there was no focus on Los Angeles. Was it that people didn't want to run opposition to the LaBelles? Was it that the NWA had given the directive, do not run any sort of opposition? I know people tried to come in, but nothing ever really happened. But again, it's Los fucking Angeles, right? Like this would be it. And and is it? it's not just the biggest media market territorially the ground that's covered in Los Angeles. I mean, you can drive from one part of LA to the other part and get in like a week later. I mean, I'm <laughs> exaggerating, but I mean, it's, it's fucking huge. And look, I know like Orange County might not be considered LA, but it is right. It, it, it's all, it, it could be two to three hours, depending on traffic could take you a week. Why do you think nobody truly wanted to go to Los Angeles to try to revitalize what, what potentially was the biggest media market? Do you think it was a language? I don't know. What do you think? And Lou, what do you think? It certainly had to do with television because, uh, keep in mind, yeah, L.A. has been either the number two or number three uh, media market in the U.S. up there with Chicago. But it was a combination of, I think by, I want to say the mid-70s, L.A. had lost its only English language show on Channel 13, which was an independent. Previously, it was on Channel 5 for years, another independent, but with, you know, a lot more coverage. So it's, it, you know, it kind of degenerated in that sense to that the only way you were going to find Hollywood wrestling on TV was to watch it on Spanish language TV. And then you had, notwithstanding the Guerreros and Piper and Gorman and Goliath kind of in their twilight days, it just kind of devolved. And you could see with, especially when you had a promoter like Mike LaBelle, who many people said didn't have their heart in the wrestling promotion, in the promotion game, pretty much unlike his mother, Eileen Eaton. So you just had a diminishing returns. And then uh, by the end, at about 81, 82, they lost the Olympic Auditorium. And then right. they had to run shows at the L.A. Sports Arena. And it just, yeah, it was just something they were, they were circling the drain for, I want to say, at least three, four years. So, you know, when, when I was thinking, uh, listening to Lou, tell me, what, one of the things that I, I think when you talk about promoters that their run ends and... Uh, they start, as Luce very eloquently put it, uh, start circling down the drain is usually when their top star departs uh, the territory. And, uh, you know, in in L.A., Blassie was such a huge star there uh, as a heel and baby face. Uh, and, yeah, you had Mill Mascaris that was in there uh, and uh, probably, what is he, 80-something years old and probably still wants to be put over by somebody. But I wonder... When they transitioned from Blassie to Mascaris, and Lou mentioned uh, the change in television stations to the uh, to the Spanish uh, 
language station. I wonder whether or not, and you know, we've heard uh, about the stories about the Olympic Auditorium uh, and how uh, I'll be kind, how rough it was in the arena uh, for a lot of different reasons: uh, fan behavior, uh, the deterioration of the 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 brick and mortar itself. How much of that had to do with, let's just say, a large majority of the fans had become Spanish? And perhaps there was other segments of the population who weren't comfortable uh, with going to that arena. Boy, is that a nice way of tiptoeing around the, what I'm saying there. So you what know do you what think you've just described, though, Jeff? You have literally just described Tyree Pride in 1985. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lou, what do you think about that? Well, uh and at this point, I would direct everybody, if they're so inclined, to watch the documentary on the Olympic Auditorium. I believe it's called 18th and Grand. And it is a fantastic look back at the Olympic and its famous years in wrestling and boxing, and also where it intersected culturally with the Latino population and the Chicano population in Los Angeles. And the Olympic uh, historic uh, facility, not just for wrestling, but for boxing. And, you know, yes. and the uh, guys like Danny Little Red Lopez and uh, so many other uh, Latino boxers that came out of that area. It, it was just an, it had an amazing run. So was LaBelle as uh, enamored with uh, boxing promoting as uh, maybe he was not enamored with wrestling promoting, Lou? To the best of my knowledge, and admittedly, my, my knowledge has some gaps in this on L.A., I don't think Mike LaBelle really had a hand in any of the uh, boxing, per se, that was more Eileen Eaton and Cal Eaton when he was alive, that they had their hands in the promotion of, uh, of the boxing cards. Barry, once again, it's time for everyone's favorite news segment. See what I did there? It's now become a news segment, Barry. Nice. Florida man or not, are you prepared and ready? I am neither prepared nor ready for this, Jeff. In other words, it's just like every other episode. The headline reads, 78-year-old man attacked by squirrel, resulting in, quote, significant injuries, Barry. Police say a 78-year-old man was attacked by a squirrel, resulting in significant injuries. So it's just like I just read that. Uh, police say they responded to the squirrel attack on the 70-year-old man. Reports to the police department stated, quote, the man was actively being attacked by a squirrel who was eating his hand. I hate when that happened. The man was attempting to choke the squirrel, but was unable to, to uh, obtain a good grip. I, I You know, you, you just can't get a good grip on those damn squirrels. First responders arrived and found the man still struggling with the squirrel. That squirrel put up one hell of a fucking fight. <laughs> yes, the squirrel did. was eventually, I love this. The squirrel was eventually subdued. Thank <laughs> God. They, they tased him or what? Uh, he died as a result of his injuries. The man was transported to a local hospital to be treated for his injuries, some of which were, quote, pretty significant, they say. He's expected to make a full recovery. Barry, Florida man or not? <sighs> Squirrels. Squirrels are really big in Florida. We got squirrels everywhere in Florida. We had squirrels. Uh, we had a squirrel situation that I discussed on this fine show right. here yeah. in Georgia. Ah, oh, shit. I'll say this is Florida. Yes, this is Florida. Slidell, Louisiana. Oh, yes. man. I'm sorry. 
you were wrong. Let's move on to our next story. Are you ready to go, Mr. Rose? As ready as I can be. Well, again, that's uh, very, uh, you know, it's, it's always sketchy as to how ready you might be. That's true. That's true. Yes. Says here, Barry, the headline, man admits he made many nude video calls to several random people. Barry, they, they found out about what you've been doing, but I digress. A man has been arrested after admitting to making multiple video calls to unsuspecting strangers while he was in the nude. Police arrested 35-year-old Adam Smith on three counts of indecent exposure after an investigation that began back in February of this year. Detectives say they received, quote, at least three reports, unquote, from victims claiming they received lewd video calls from a naked mystery man making, ge- he was making gestures. I wonder what those gestures involve, Barry, on the camera. According to officials, investigators eventually found out that all the calls came from two different phone numbers, both associated with Adam Smith. Oh, smart. And... They found out that back in 2019, he'd earned a conviction. He was convicted, Barry. Not not withheld. It was a conviction on charges of indecent exposure, and investigators were able to identify. Oh, guess how they ID'd him, Barry? It's the old tattoos coming into play, and they ID'd Mr. Smith, Barry, Florida man or not. You'd have to be really stupid to think that you're going to do some sort of video conferencing to strangers and not get caught. That that seems so 100% this guy is from the state of Florida. Sarasota County. There you go. Don't we have some brother shippers that live in Sarasota County, Barry? I don't know if they I know they're close by if not in Sarasota. I mean Sarasota from Lutz 60 90 minutes somewhere around there. Nice drive. Yeah, we I'm sure we do though. We actually do. I know we have at least one. Barry, the next headline, semi-nude women advertise Mm. funeral service in tasteless video. Oh, Barry, courtesy of our old friends of the New York Post, which, by the way, that's not a spoiler. I can tell you it did not happen in New York. A mortuary service seems to believe that sex sells, even in death, judging by a photo shoot in which it hired scantily clad, uh, excellent use of the word scantily clad there, Barry. Scantily, nice. Women to dance around coffins to promote its services. Sure. Undertakers are facing mortified backlash over their decision to enlist a bevy of, a bevy, a bevy of beauties for a stunt to promote funeral services for all categories of citizens on Instagram and TikTok. (laughs) The 42nd. Uh, the 42-second, excuse me, clip branded tasteless and offensive on social media shows women in lingerie and stripper heels, not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with that, posing with coffins, including one buxom babe. I love the way they word this, a buxom babe. Oh, yeah. Who hopped inside the casket and ride the round while another gal put her leg atop the clothes portion and smi- smile, I think it's supposed to be smiled. It says smized. Smiled for the camera. Barry, oh my God, is this Florida or not? So this is not Florida. This is somewhere, I think, in uh, more of the Northeast. What What kind of decision maker are you? If you- <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying this is the kind of decision someone in the Northeast? Don't you live in the Northeast? By I the do. Way? That's what I mean. It just, what? how do you come up that you think this is going to, th- this would be, I, I would be curious to even see this. This would appeal, I, I would assume, Correctly, this would appeal to the lowest common denominator. Let's see. My dad died. I'll miss him. But there's a buxom woman on TV 
dancing in and out of a coffin, my dad should get buried there. Like it just, I, I, yeah. Wow. You know, just when you think you've heard them all, this is as good as it gets. This is not Florida, though, but it should be. It is not Florida, Barry. Moscow. Oh, we're wow. Russia, Barry, for this story, which <laughs> just an awesome headline. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Next, Barry, we have. That is a great. Do we have a copy of this video, by the way? This, uh, this I'm not sure if the video is included, <laughs> but I sure hope it is. All right. <laughs> The headline, Barry, woman discovers naked homeless man has been living in the trunk of her car for three days, wow. going to the grocery store and work with her without making any noise. The headline reads, Bethany, Co Bethany Coker, I hate when that happens, <laughs> discovered a, na a naked homeless man who had been living in her car for three days. He'd remained silent during that time, riding around with her as she went to work and ran errands. While, or when she found the man, he told her that him being in her trunk was, quote, a rite of passage and alleged that he was the son of the Pope. Coker said the man was a missing person and is currently, this is going to be hard for you to believe, Barry, in a psych ward. <laughs> yeah. I know that's a stunning development, Barry. Barry, Florida man or not? Uh, going through all the details you just told us, looking at this and as far as, uh, this is not Florida. British Columbia. Ah, so, you know, as opposed to the thought process that, wow, it's got to be really hot in that trunk, British Columbia, and if it's like in the winter, that's got to be pretty damn cold, especially if you're naked, Barry. Yeah, especially it's, uh, yeah, we've all been naked in the uh, freezing there cold. There may have been significant shrinkage when he was discovered. <laughs> yes, there is shrinkage. I was in the pool. <laughs> I was in the pool. <laughs> Are women aware, Elaine, of what happens when a man goes <laughs> in the pool? Yeah. Barry, I know there's nothing you love more, even maybe more than Florida man or not. It's a good discussion of food. Barry, are you ready to go? I love discussing food, Jeff. It's yeah, the, now this like, you're ready to discuss. This I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm wide awake. I'm alert. I'll, I'll try to be, well, uh, I'll try to speak legibly, uh, if that's such a word, which legibly, I don't know if it is. I, I don't think it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Barry, I came across this story uh, courtesy of BoardPanda.com. Okay. 30 funny, petty, and rude things people have seen done to customers' orders at restaurants. Barry, my first response to you before I get into some of these stories or my first question to you, you have a customer who's been a problem. Now, I'm not going to say, you know, like, you know, you, you've uh, uh, slipped them a Mickey or does something that malicious that uh, raises to criminal. Uh, of course, I wouldn't want you to admit any of that, Barry. But have you ever done anything? Along the lines of, uh, oh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, putting a little extra, uh, you know, chili powder in the uh, the chili, or because they're being a real jerk, or uh, is something like that. Have you ever done that? And will you admit to ever doing that? I would never admit to doing it because I believe it's a felony, actually. So uh, of course, uh, you know, but of course, the statute of limitations may have already passed. Yeah. Well, I'll give you not... I'll give you an example, Barry, and then sure. you can decide whether or not you want to admit it or not. Uh, the first example, someone said. Wanted extra mayo, so I maliciously compl complied by drenching it. Lady thought I would forget her fake $10 tip the last time she was there. So that's an example. Another one, Barry, the second example, some Indian guys come in uh, one time and ask for us to make their food as spicy as possible. I told them 
that's going to be extremely spicy and wanted to make sure they knew what they were asking for. They went on a long rant about how Indian restaurants are the only places that actually know what spicy is, and anything we bring out isn't going to be as close to how spicy they like their food. So I had the owner come over and tell them that we'll try our best, but there won't be any refund on this food if it's too spicy. So we made them chicken fried rice with Trinidad scorpion peppers. Mm. After two bites and about 10 glasses of soy milk later, they ordered something else. So, Barry, first of all, do you think Indian food is the spiciest out there? No, not at all. I don't think. I mean, Indian can be spicy depending on what you get. Uh, but no, I don't. I, I would say if I was looking, I mean, I do think some of the Caribbean food I've had coming from Jamaica. Uh, what about Thai? They, Thai, depending on what you get, absolutely. Thai. I told you that story about the one near you where yeah, I yeah, was yeah. choking and I couldn't. Uh, I've also had Chinese where uh, it's off, you know, but I don't think Indian is, no. Okay, so have you ever heard of the Trin Trinidad scorpion pepper? I, I haven't, but uh, now I'm really intrigued. So uh, as far as you know, is the uh, I've heard about the uh, the ghost pepper and the Carolina Reaper. Is there something that you know of that's hotter than either one of those? I, no. So I think uh, if I'm correct and I don't know, I think there's a scale. It's called the Scoville scale. The Scoville scale. scale. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which which measures all of this stuff. I, I think it's Scoville units is how they measure this. I don't know what the criteria is. But with that, I always was under the impression that the ghost pepper was the spiciest pepper. Maybe it's not. So we'll have to examine whether or not the Carolina Reaper, the ghost pepper, or the Trinidad scorpion uh, pepper is the hottest on the old Scoville scale. Next, Barry, we have someone. Uh, now, now, see, to me, this is a, an example of maybe maybe you can discuss if something like this ever happened. So you work uh, and a customer orders a uh, an ice cream sundae, okay? And the example given here in the article is, they make, quote, very ugly Sundays for customers that have been rude, whereas customers that have been nice to them, I, whether it's just being, you know, engaging in conversation or giving them a nice tip, they really go out of their way to prepare the Sunday, uh, put some extra sprinkles on it, make it a really like a beautiful piece of food. So, Barry, in that, given that example, would you say that's fair? No, I mean, it's not fair at all. It's not, I don't, I don't think, you know, again, having been on both sides of this, I think if somebody is paying, for, look, if you're a dick, you're a dick. You shouldn't be able to get away with being a dick, but I don't, I don't think in hindsight, that means I should be messing with your food in some form. Well, no, no. If, and what they said here was they gave them the ice cream sundae, didn't put anything in it. They just didn't put the effort into it that they might put for somebody that was nicer to them. I, I still don't think I, I mean, if I'm a business owner, I'd say, no, you treat everybody that comes in here the same. And I unfortunately, in customer service, you're going to get dicks. It's the nature of the beast. At the same time, as a business owner, look at it this way. If I own the business and somebody comes in and I don't put any effort in giving them a good Sunday, the ingredients are the same, but it looks like shit. Maybe the hot fudge is on too long and the ice cream's melted. If that person doesn't have a good experience, they're EA not going to come back possibly, or they're going to tell people about it. So I would do nothing. Why would I want to damage my my business in any form? So no, I'd have to say I don't think that's a good idea either. I don't. No, uh, the next either. one on this list, Barry. Someone mentions uh, I didn't tamper with food, but if you were an asshole, I would spill water on you. Accidentally, of course. Oof. No, Bad, Barry. 
bad, bad, bad. So, you, okay. Uh, uh, well, so well, can I tell you? I go had, ahead. Yeah, yeah. So I was, uh, it was a restaurant in New York. Server or manager? I was manager. And one of my servers, Check. who was the best man at my wedding, and I apologize for that, Jeff. Yeah, uh, son of a bitch. John, who was the best man at wait my minute, wedding. Wait a minute, not even Letterberg? Not even Letterberg. Wow. Uh, nicest guy ever was this guy nicest guy ever and uh but not the greatest server and they used to call him chongo blanco the white gorilla because he literally was this monster of a human being but he was like a poet that was the dichotomy of it he was like this sensitive gentle poet but he looked like a white gorilla anyways he's got a tray full of orange juice spills it all over this unintentionally all over this woman who's wearing a green velour tracksuit she burst out into tears over this and i had to go play cleanup you know not just physically but uh from the check and emotionally i had to play cleanup as for it as well when you spill something on somebody the restaurant is liable for it there is no getting around if i ruin your clothes Based off my action in a restaurant, I have to pay for it. So no, spilling something on a customer to exact revenge, not a good business model. So the last one I'll use uh, in this discussion, Barry, uh, and again, uh, they make a point of saying tampering with food uh, is absolutely a, a non-starter. You, you can't do that. Uh, yep. As they point out in the article, uh, you know, you have people that have food allergies, uh, uh, lactose intolerant, whatever. But so Barry, imagine you're a server or manager check and according to the article sometimes things happen when people get cocky and ask for extremely spicy food the kitchen staff sure. turns into evil geniuses a guy once asked for wings so spicy get a load of this berry that they would give a woman a miscarriage Oof. I relayed. I re oh, for me to say. I relayed those lovely instructions to the kitchen. I don't know what they did, but the sauce was burning my nose and my making my eyes water as I carried them out. He was not able to finish the wings. So Barry, you're a server, and a gentleman says, "I want my wings so spicy they'll cause a woman to have a miscarriage." You take the order, Barry. Do you go back and tell the boys in the back, eh, "Put a little extra cayenne on that for me." Yeah. So if I was doing this correctly, I would say, well, you know, we have these wings that are absolutely, uh, they'll rip the skin off your tongue. They're so spicy. And he says, that's exactly what I want. I'm going to give him what he has asked for. Then there's nothing wrong with that. On that though, Jeff, I had that once happen. I was, I, I, as a, as a customer, it was new year's Eve. I believe it was 1995. I went to a Chinese restaurant was with the woman I was dating at the time who would later become my wife, then my ex-wife. And I ordered this spicy black pepper shrimp. I love shrimp. I love spicy and I love black pepper. So I saw no problem. The server, and I was cocky and arrogant, of course. The server no, says, oh yeah. The server says, oh, it's it's spicy. And, and I was like, yeah, come on, man. No problem. Bring it on. He brings it. Did, did you call him bro? I did not. <laughs> No, I did not call. I, I love, imagine. I love when people call me bro. Yes. I hate that. I hate, I find that so, yeah. I must be our age, but I find that weird when you call me bro. But the, the server. Or broheim. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, not, not, not playing the game. But <laughs> with that, I ordered the shrimp, even though he had warned me in a polite way. And I took one bite of the shrimp. 
and it was immediately, I believe, the hottest thing, temperature, spicy-wise, that I had ever eaten. I'm in the stage where I don't want to admit defeat and tap out because uh, I didn't want to be viewed as a bigger wimp than I already was. So I continued to eat. But this was like a, uh, a scene out of a movie where I began to sweat. I was sweating. Every bite was painful, and I think I ate 75% of what was on my plate. I, I don't remember any stomach issue, which is good, but I can tell you from a spice perspective, it was the next level. No, if, if you go into a restaurant and you say, especially something, you know, with the, when that, that's, a, that's a foul line. Uh, but if you go into a restaurant and you say, I want this as spicy as possible, and as the server, we agree upon, okay, we're going to bring it, you're liable. That's, that's on you. You've ordered them. You're paying for it. That's, you're in charge. Tampering with food is a different, and I have told this story before. I'll repeat it, but when I worked at Tavern on the Green, Server manager. I was a server and I was young and That's I was horrific. You, uh, yep. I was a horrific server at that note. There was a French guy who was having lunch with his girlfriend. I was 19 and cute and she was flirting with me. He was not having She's it. only human. She's how could you stop, especially at that stage? So uh, I'm almost like John McAdam now with this story. Jeff. Well, I'm approaching, yeah. I'm, en I'm encroaching. Next thing, and I'll be talking about fourth generation videotapes. I mean, what the, <laughs> and witches, right? My God. So he, uh, so okay, she's okay, bro. Okay, <laughs> broheim, and. They order something. I drop off the food. He's clearly irritated, and he trips me as I'm carrying a tray, and I go down. I get up. I think my first instinct is to take the tray and hit him in the face, but I'm also shocked. I'm stunned. This had never happened, so I'm a little out of it because this is completely catching me off guard. I go back in the kitchen, and all the waiters – the not all of them. A bunch of waiters are in the back, and they're like, that motherfucker – you need to get even with him. And partly, and this is, uh, they tell you, is that we were unionized. The Tavern on the Green was a union restaurant. It was a union house. And they said, you need to get even ben with James that guy. Ben James just got an erection you just mentioned. <laughs> yes, he did. Ben James, the union king right there. And Ben, who does listen every week, by the way. What's going on, Ben? So I put said, that erection back in your pants, Mike Graham. Go ahead. As I said, I said, you know what? I'm not going to do anything. Let it go. I, I was like 19 at the time. I needed I needed my job. I needed the money. I wasn't going to fuck with anything. And I said, I don't want to do anything. Just let it go. And I was upset, but let it go. And they said, no, no, fuck you. This isn't about you. This is about us. We're, we're a union. We're a team. They just fucked all of us by doing that. We're not letting it go. And I said, Guys, I really don't want to. Long story short, he had ordered a cappuccino. They put Visine in the cappuccino. They gave it to him. I did not. Somebody else ran it out there. This was, back in those days, a fairly common practice as well. And uh, within five to ten minutes of him drinking, this guy was actually making a run to the bathroom. Uh, the Visine would cause uh, stomach distress and cause diarrhea. Ethiopian-like distress? Ethiopian-like distress. I, I, I have heard where – and this is sense that if you do that, you could potentially kill somebody. Oh, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, that's a little, I mean, you know, but no, this apparently back in the days, if you fucked with somebody at this restaurant, they would, they'd visine your food or your beverage.
So the last thing I want to ask you about in this particular discussion. As a caveat, Jeff, that was over 38 years ago. Yeah, thank you. Your statute of limitations is up. Yes. So have you ever had a regular customer uh, at one of your restaurants, either as a server or manager, either one who is so legendary, perhaps for one abhorrent uh, behavior episode that he becomes, uh, he gets a nickname. Yes. Yes. You've had this? So we used to have, this was when I was working as a server, and this is South Florida, at a restaurant. We had a guy, it was a single guy, 30, 35 years ago, so I'm trying in my head. I'll say he was in his 40s to 50s, but I don't know. But he was seemed to be at least older than me. So he would come in once a week. He would get whatever was some sort of special. He was a cheap bastard. And he would get some sort of special or something, uh, not a good tipper, would never spend, would never get a beverage, never spend an extra dollar, just not a great customer. And there was a provision, which I believe has since changed, that if the customer did not sign the credit card receipt, they weren't liable for it. And this guy had come in the restaurant, let's say it's Tuesday, every Tuesday at 5.30 for four years, and then one week didn't sign the credit card receipt and refused to pay which is a chargeback for the restaurant. So we, we essentially lose that money. The manager calls him. He says, I didn't sign it. He goes, well, I don't know if that was me. I don't know if I was in the restaurant that day. The manager says, you were in the restaurant at that time on, that, on, this, on a Tuesday for uh, 147 weeks. You're going to tell me this was the one week you didn't come in. And he said, if I didn't sign it, I'm not sure it's me. And he refused to pay. He immediately got a nickname in the restaurant and also immediately got shitty service and shitty food going forward. I'm not saying I agree with it. And I was only a server, but I will tell you the manager and the chef didn't want this guy coming back either. And they, they ensured the, the service and the food was not great for this guy. Well, let me ask you, first of all, was the restaurant you're talking about, was it a chain restaurant? It was, was not. It, a, it was an okay. independent, yes. So if that's the case, why couldn't the manager, owner, whatever, just refuse the guy's service after that? I don't exactly know. you. And, and there's the rules of refusing. Look, every, they'll always tell you every business has a, has a right. There's a sign by the door. We reserve the right. They could have... But uh, I think it could have become a bigger deal. And I think that's what they were trying to avoid because the manager was a female Hungarian and tough as nails and a vocabulary that would make you and I blush. So I remember this guy would uh, come in and she would call over a server and go, this motherfucker, and just go on about this guy. A real, you know, a real fucking piece of work. I do think we he eventually stopped coming in for whatever, which I'm assuming was food and service at that point. So did he have a nickname? What was his nickname? And I forget. He did. And that's the whole thing. And I know it's really the. OK, the, so here's why I even bring this up. Sure. Found an article that says, quote, photo of Pizzeria's list of blacklisted customers delights the Internet. So apparently uh, on Reddit, there's this post uh, that apparently has been visited something like 84,000 times. It features a photo of an unspecified pizzeria and its list of order refusals. Okay, 
apparently one of the people that is mentioned on this list of blacklisted people is a individual whose nickname is uh, or involves a quote steak hoagie large pizza incident. So the people said, well, we got to hear the story. What happened here? So the story goes that this guy, much like the guy you just mentioned, would come in. He would order the same 12-inch steak hoagie with provolone along with a large steak and chicken pizza every week and always on Sunday for some reason. He was described, according to the article, as being somewhat of a nuisance but was never banned as a customer. That was until one Super Bowl Sunday. He calls in asking for his usual order, somehow unaware that it was even Super Bowl Sunday. My friend's mom was on the phone and told him there's no way they could fulfill his order as they were slammed. They told him, if you want it, you're going to have to arrive in two hours. He, of course, was upset about this and wouldn't take no for an answer. The pizzeria reportedly hung up on the man, causing him to, quote, get belligerent, unquote. He stormed into the location 30 minutes later and caused a scene in front of numerous customers. Nobody could calm the man down. Eventually, the store owner jumped in and started to threaten to call the cops. He shouted back and even tried jumping over the counter, but failed and landed on the floor. He shouted some more, kicked the fridge holding the sodas, then stormed out, swearing to never order from there again. They then put him on the list as steak hoagie and large pizza, and everyone working there knows exactly who they're talking about. Uh, apparently, buried the location of the pizzeria somewhere in western New York. So, uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah it, it may be a Jeff Zinger related incident. But have you ever had someone that bad where they became uh, tried to physically encounter a uh, a server or manager in a restaurant? So, yes, best scenario i've ever got this completely caught me off guard and i'll give you a little backstory 1994 managing because i figure we shouldn't do that three or four times uh, in a segment right so i feel like i had it managing a restaurant in new york city this was the restaurant called mulholland drive cafe where patrick swayze my my man crush was a part owner we had a server her name was tina tina was a tough from queens new york a tough street kid she had been on the streets she had gone through some sort of drug abuse but had got herself cleaned up she was tough looking she had a tough personality if you knew her she had a heart of gold and you loved her but she was tough she also had a boyfriend that was possibly connected to the La Familia and apparently would uh, abuse her from time to time. And she also, in a conversation with us, had claimed to have AIDS. So there was a lot going on with Tina. Tina came to, but I always got along great with her and she did a great job for me, except for this one night. So she was taking care of a couple a man and a woman at a table, very small table for two. I, it was close to the front of the restaurant. I'll never forget it. And the guy at the table was giving her a hard time about something. I believe the guy at the table was what New York City people would call bridge and tunnel, meaning he came from Jersey, Long Island. He wasn't from the city, but he came from one of the outlying areas. But he wasn't refined, which might be a nice way to put that he was also kind of street level. And he was giving her a hard time and he wound up saying to her, 
so I, I should say she had come over and said, this guy's being a real dick to me. I went over and I checked, sir, is everything all right? Blah, blah, blah. He said, yeah, your server, you know, and I said, OK, would you like to get another server? He said, no, I went to her. Do you want me to have somebody else? She said, no, I'll finish it up because she wanted the tip. I guess he wound up insulting her and she wound up throwing a right hook and decked him as he's sitting at the table. with That his could wife cost her a tip. I'm just going to say it, it cost her a tip. It became a big deal in the restaurant. As it turned out, he actually stayed and finished his meal and he left. I got all of his contact info. He was not going to press charges. Uh, and we weren't quite as litigious in 94. And uh, but I had use to, of that word, by the way, Barry. Right. Pretty good. But I had to get his contact info because I knew that this was going to uh, turn into a bigger deal. And I sat and I talked with her and I said, the unfortunate part is, you know, this this has to be I have to relay this to the higher ups. I have a feeling you're going to wind up losing your job, and I'm real sorry. And she understood, and she did wind up losing her job over it. So, yeah, I've had a uh, I've had a server actually deck a, a guest in a restaurant, which oh. it's insane to think oh. about it. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my. Very much like wrestling, I think that uh, we should never be uh, hesitant to steal a good idea or maybe borrow is a better word from sure. another podcast. I happen to be listening to a podcast today with uh, this food related query that I knew would be right up your alley, Barry, Barry, give me your unpopular food opinion. Okay. As an example, the uh, one of the, the, the host on the show said he's not a fan of pickles. I so, uh, and that was his unpopular opinion. He didn't like that. And the other host said he's not a fan of gravy on like mashed potatoes or anything like that. So Barry, in that light, give me your unpopular food opinion. I think Wendy's is absolutely terrible. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if that's unpopular or if that's shocking, but a lot of people seem to go, oh, I love Wendy's. I love the square burgers, fresh meat. Every time I've gone to a Wendy's and I know Jim Cornette, a very popular Acadian podcast vanguard whatever host uh really does he have a show that's nice apparently he's got a show and apparently loves wendy's i i think wendy's is terrible and i don't like wendy's whatsoever so that's you know i'm sure i have others that's one that comes to mind immediately so i'll tell you a place that uh that a lot of people around where i live like because there's always a line i don't get the big appeal of zaxby's are you a fan of zaxby's so, yeah, you're right. Uh, Zaxby's is uh, – it's there. It's mediocre. It's there. It's it's not the worst I've ever had. It's not a place I ever think I ever want to go out of my way. But to what you're saying, some yeah. people lose their fucking shit over it. Yeah, I mean I've tried it before, and it's like, eh, yeah, it's okay. you know. But it's like, like I always – I always see the lines. It's not like Chick-fil-A lines, okay, uh, that are completely insane. But there's always a line at the one uh, by where we live. My wife and I have gone there well, maybe twice. And it wasn't so incredible that I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to fucking go there. Like, you know, if the wife calls and goes, I don't feel like making dinner tonight. Let me pick something on the way. What What do you got? And Zaxby's is right on the way. And I have never said yeah, why don't you get Zaxby's? Because I like Zaxby so much. But, uh, you know, so we were having the discussion earlier, Barry, about uh, spicy food and that kind of things. Here's something I don't understand. Maybe this is an unpopular opinion. I don't get why people want, let's just say uh, chicken wings, okay? Why do people want chicken wings that will, as you uh, so eloquently put, uh, burn the skin off your tongue? 
because I, I, I thought you were getting a food uh, item because you wanted to enjoy the taste. Now, you know, spicy stuff that will enhance the flavor. You know, I recently, my wife uh, bought uh, this, I, I can't even know what the brand name is, but it's like this, it's a mustard-based sauce, a little bite to it. That's, I think, a local product here. And man, I loved it. We we actually cooked chicken out on the grill last night. Uh, and I was like, man, this stuff is really good. I got to get this uh, again. And so I like it. My wife does not like stuff with any kind of bite to it at all, but I love it. And I, I told you recently uh, that I tried uh, P.F. Chang's uh, frozen dinner uh, that's like the Korean-style pork, uh, and it's in, uh, you know, like ramen noodles. And I was like, wow, this is really good, and it's got a nice bite to it. So I like stuff that has a bite. What I don't like is where instead of tasting the food, all you're getting is the heat. Right. Barry, what is the fascination with that? Well, there are TV shows that are dedicated to that fascination, right? I don't, I have to agree with you. If you, it, to me, spice should be about enhancing the flavor of the food, Absolutely. not completely taking it over. That all you're getting is the heat. So, like, there are certain hot sauces out there, and there's a couple. Cholula, which is a popular hot sauce, has flavor to it. Some of the sauces are just heat. There's no flavor. There's Nando's Peri Peri, which is picks up a citrusy flavor. I love it. It's fantastic. The same time, you know, there's a lot of people that walk into a place, bring me the hottest item you have, the spiciest item. I, I think a lot of it, it becomes some sort of a badge of honor, sense of pride for them. Let me see how hot I can take this uh, and conquer this. I just don't see where the true enjoyment comes from that. So, Barry, now it is time for us to do the old go home. Are you ready? Yes, sir. So I will remind each and every one of you, each and every one, no, not just one or two of you, each and every one of you, I want to remind that Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry, a production, as Barry so eloquently stated earlier, of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, uh, the network that apparently Jim Cornette is Joe on. That's very nice. So on behalf of uh, my co-host Barry Rose, our producer, Sweet Lou Kippelman, out in the city by the bay, I am Jeff Bowdrin. Sometimes they call me the booker. And we, Barry, we're getting close to loots, my man. Yeah, we are. Geez, what are we now? We're, I guess, about four weeks away from when this episode drops. Uh, tickets still available. Or tickets still available. We got a lot of people coming this time. We're losing a couple of uh, our brothers that are unable to make it for various reasons and things like that. But at the same time, we are getting a bunch of new people and confirmed this past weekend Roman Gomez, great guy. A lot of the people, you know him from our group. Uh, whenever somebody goes out to Vegas, as Kevin Dignam did last week, they always meet up with Roman. They go out, they have lunch with him. Roman also the co-host of the very popular Mid-Atlantic podcast on our very network also. Roman will be joining. It's June the 4th in the beautiful Tampa suburb of Lutz, uh, headlining or demolition, also known as the mass superstar and crusher Khrushchev. They will be doing both gimmicks. Steve Kern will be there. Also be doing a Skinner gimmick. Bob Roop will be there. Also doing the Maha Singh gimmick, the Saint Cuban assassin, Medusa Michelli, Leilani Kai. We just got a host of surprises coming up. It's very exciting. Glacier, very popular guest on our podcast recently. Glacier will also be there. So I'm excited, Jeff. We are just a few weeks away. Tickets available. You can go to Eventbrite, type in or top in, whatever you want to do. 
CWF Legends Fan Fest. You can also visit our Facebook group. There's CWF Legends Fan Fest Facebook group, CWF Archives, or the Brothership Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. So be there. In the words of the great Freddie Miller, don't miss it. Be there.